right, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. If you're online, it's good to, to have you with us today too. Go ahead and open up your Bibles for the final time to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, we're going to be looking at the very last paragraph, verses 50 to 53. And I tell you what, it's been an, an amazing three-year journey. We actually started the book of Luke way back in December of 2017. So I think it's appropriate that we spent three years. I mean, the disciples spent three years with Jesus. And so us going through Luke in three years, I think, is, is right. Now, before we walk through this last paragraph and talk about the significance of the ascension, I want to go back to the very beginning, the very first paragraph. Of Luke. Okay, so flip with me back to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And I want to remind us why Luke wrote this gospel. He says in verse 1 Inasmuch as many have undertaken to complete a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the very beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so for 24 chapters now, Luke has been giving his friend Theophilus and us certainty of what we've been taught about Jesus. Luke's passion and his desire in this gospel is to increase our faith. I pray that it's done that over the last three years. I know speaking personally, I believe walking through the gospel of Luke has definitely increased my faith in Jesus. Because for 24 chapters, this is what Luke has been doing. He's been showing us over and over and over that Jesus is not just a mere man. I mean, his birth was marked by miracles, right? Born of a virgin. There's angels declaring his birth. There's a star locating where he was born. His cousin, John the Baptist, was raised up as a prophet to prepare the way as a young child, there's prophets that are coming in and blessing him. As a young boy, he's teaching in the temple. Luke includes a genealogy of Jesus that goes all the way back to Adam and Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to Judah, to David, and all the way to Jesus. We get to his ministry and he flips the whole world upside down. They, they say nobody's ever taught like him before. He had this authority when he taught, the, he taught his disciples to understand the heart of his Heavenly Father better. He, he helped them realize that the whole Old Testament pointed to him. He performed miracles, healed the broken, calmed the storm, fed thousands with next to nothing. He walked on water and he rose people from the dead. And Luke, over the 24 chapters, has emphasized that Jesus was completely innocent, never sinned, and yet willingly laid down his life for us, paying the penalty that we deserve when he went to the cross. And over the last few weeks, we've seen how Luke emphasized the significance of the resurrection, that he rose victoriously over sin and over death. Last week, we saw that Luke had showed us that Jesus met with his disciples and, and 
convinced the doubters, right, that he was really alive, and he commissioned his disciples and basically said, look, you're going to go and you're going you're to share this gospel message to the end of the earth. And you see that great commission played out in several of the, uh, of the gospels and, and also in the, in the book of Acts. This week, we're going to finish up, Luke, by talking about a subject that is really significant but almost never talked about, the ascension. Uh, you can go to the, the store right now and probably find a greeting card on the birth of Christ, right? You can, often you can find greeting cards on the resurrection of Christ or even the death of Christ, but I don't know if I've ever seen a greeting card on the ascension. In fact, you probably, how many in here have actually heard a sermon on the ascension? Uh, if you've only ever, nobody rose their hand, <laughs> rose their hand. Uh, I've, never, I've never preached on the ascension, and actually as I was researching this and, and studying this week, I became convicted because I've come to realize that the ascension is just as necessary as the birth and the death and the resurrection. We've already seen several scriptures that show us the necessity of the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and my goal today is to show you through Scripture that the ascension was just as necessary, and it's just as significant to us today. And so let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this text together. Father, often it is so easy for us to get caught up in this world. It's so easy for us to be consumed by things of this world, things that don't matter a lick for eternity. And yet you are faithful. And I pray right now you would help us to focus in on your word and that your spirit would open up the eyes of our hearts to see the significance of the ascension, the, the, the significance that right now you are sitting at the right, that, that the Son is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Help us to see the significance and help us live in light of it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what I want to do is I want to go ahead and read Luke 24, the last paragraph, 50 through 53, but then I also want to read Mark's account of the ascension, and then we're also going to go jump over to Acts chapter 1. It's significant that Luke ends his first book, the Gospel of Luke, with the story of the ascension, and then he begins his next book, the book of Acts, with the story of the ascension. Okay, so Luke evidently thought that it was significant. So I want to read all three of those accounts because I want you to have a very full understanding. I want you to just really be able to picture how magical this would have been for especially the disciples that were there. Okay, so let's start in Luke, starting in verse 50. And he, Jesus, led them out, his disciples, as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now turn with me to Mark chapter 16. And so go to the left in your Bible 
end of Mark, very end of Mark. Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. All right, and then finally flip over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. So go to the right just past Matthew, Mark, Luke. John, then we get to Acts. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All right, so here's the outline. This is where we're going today. We're going to start with talking about the necessity of the ascension. And then second, we're going to talk about the blessing of the ascension. And so we're going to really see the significance of it there. And then finally, we're going to talk about the living in light of the ascension. Okay, so I want you to picture yourself. First, before we even go on, I want you to kind of picture yourself as one of those disciples in this moment. How much of a roller coaster you've been on over the last several weeks, Right? And so this, this teacher that you've been following for the last three years, you've fallen in love with, you love his teaching, he's, he's taught, I mean, he's just wisdom beyond measure. You hang on every word. You've seen him heal people. You've seen him walk on water, feed thousands. Uh, he's your life. And all of a sudden he dies. You're devastated. Uh, life couldn't get much worse for you in that, in that moment. And then three days later, you, you hear rumors that he's not dead, that he's actually alive. And then he appears to you. And I mean, you're on cloud nine now, right? And, you, and you're thinking, you see this in, in, in Acts. I mean, you're thinking, if you're a Jew, okay, Jesus has just conquered death. Surely now he's going to conquer the Roman Empire. That's what they were thinking. And so that's why they asked this question in, in Acts. Okay, when are you going to conquer the Roman Empire? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's much better than that actually. It's actually way better than that. It's to your advantage, he says in John, that I, I, I go away. I want to talk about the necessity of the ascension first. Now, so I grew up in a church that every single Sunday we recited the Apostles' Creed. How many of you even know what the Apostles' Creed is here? Okay, several of you. Okay, did anybody grow up in a church where you recited the Apostles' Creed on a regular basis? Okay, some of you, some of you. Uh, we've never done that here until today. We're going to do that today here in a second. Um, the church I grew up, we were actually required to, to memorize the Apostles' Creed. It was part of the catechism. 
And before we were confirmed in front of the church, we had to recite it in front of the church, actually. So I, I thought about making that part of the membership class. We, no, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we, I had to memorize this and, and say it in front, of the, in front of the church family. And with the creed, the creed, actually, the Apostles' Creed, it dates itself back to the first century. It's one of the first statements of faith that we have from the early church fathers, and it gives us really a window, a glimpse into what this early church believed was essential as part of their faith. And so we're going to put it up on the screen, and I would love for you to, uh, to say this with me out loud. All right. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You might have saw the little star next to the word Catholic. If some of you are confused by that, that is not the big C Catholic Church that we think of. Little C Catholic just means the, the general church, the overall universal church. So all Christians of all times and all believers. And so I'll tell you what, that brought me back to my childhood a little bit there. Uh, I think it's significant. The reason I had us read that is that I believe it's really significant that the early church fathers thought it was important enough, that, that the ascension was important enough to put it in the Apostles' Creed. It was necessary for them to do that. It was significant for them to do that. And I think Jesus would agree that it's an essential part of our faith. In fact, in the first trial, he's before the Sanhedrin. You remember this. Jesus has asked, do you think that you're the Messiah? And how does he respond? Well, he first says, well, even if I tell you, you're not going to believe me. But then he says this. He says, I tell you, but from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So he points to his ascension. Then in chapter 24, while he's walking on the road with the two disciples to Emmaus, he, he says to them, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? What's he talking about there? His ascension. So Listen, if the ascension doesn't happen, the gospel possesses no present day power for us. The birth of the death and the resurrection matter little if there's no ascension. If we take away the ascension, it's, it's kind of like th these guys who were in college practicing basketball and, and going through the whole season preparing for the NCAA tournament, and then the NCAA tournament gets canceled, right? I, I, I felt awful for them. <laughs> or, or it's kind of like this. Uh, if you're building this beautiful house or, or an addition to your house, right? And instead, well, you get it all done, and you just board it up, and nobody ever uses it. I mean, can you imagine getting done all the work that you put on it, and just put a board in front of the door, and you just never even use it? Okay, you take away the ascension. That's kind of what it's like. Or, or it's kind of like 
you just make this, you work hours and you labor hours for, to make a, a, an amazing Thanksgiving meal, right? Only nobody eats it. Nobody takes even a bite, okay? That's what it's like if you take away the ascension. Maybe the best illustration I could give you, this comes from Tim Keller. It's kind of like building a bomb with no detonator. You see, the ascension is the detonator by which God releases all the power of the gospel into the world. Without the ascension, we have no assurance in the present and we have no hope in the future. And and to spell that out, you have to understand the blessings of the ascension. Okay, so this gets into our second point. And so when Jesus led his disciples out to Bethany, he lifts lifts up his hands and he blesses them which was actually a normal thing for like fathers to do before they would depart the earth, right? They, they would give a blessing. I think of like Jacob blessing his sons, right? Uh, you think about Isaac blessing his sons. And so uh, Jesus, he doesn't do that before his crucifixion, right? Because he knows he's going to be back, okay? And so he blesses his disciples here. And we don't know exactly what he, at least Luke doesn't spell out exactly all the details of what he's saying there, but I believe that a lot of the blessings that Jesus is giving to his disciples is just encouraging them, okay, it's better for me to leave, this is why, okay, this is, this is the, the blessings of me ascending back to the, the Father. Uh, and we do get a, a sense, a, a, some hints from some of the other accounts, for example, back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he gave the blessing, he said, look, I'm promising you that you will be filled with power uh, by the Holy Spirit, so you can be my witnesses, right? That's a blessing that he's giving his disciples right before the ascension. The Great Commission in Matthew, uh, at the end of Matthew, Jesus is telling them, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And then what does he say at the very end? He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's, that's a blessing, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul dives into this idea uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. He says, When he raised him from the dead and he seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him as a head over all things to the church. So one of the blessings of the ascension is that we can have confidence in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so, essentially, the ascension gives final vindication to Jesus as he is welcomed home by his heavenly Father to sit at the right hand. It's a, it's a seat of ultimate authority, or as Leo would say, super sovereignty, right? Uh, Jesus began and he concludes his ministry talking about the kingdom of God, right? That's how he starts. This is his first sermon, talking about the kingdom of God. And he ends, we saw in Acts chapter 1, talking about the kingdom of God. Well, the ascension is essentially putting the king in his proper place. Uh, it's his inauguration. It inaugurated a new age on earth, a new covenant with his people. We're now able to experience a, a new creation as we experience a, a, a new power, or this power of sin is overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. The curse of the fall has been reversed, and Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent, Satan, now sits high and lifted up. You see, it's because of the ascension that we can now have confidence that our sins have been forgiven. The ascension is God the Father saying, 
and declaring that the cross was sufficient. It's kind of like the ascension, uh, if you study really hard for a test and you take that test and you, you know you aced it, you know you got every question, you are 100% positive you've gotten every one of them right. But it really doesn't matter a whole lot until you get your grade back from your teacher, right? That stamp of approval with the A plus written on it. That's what the ascension is, essentially, <laughs> okay? Or it's kind of like the Olympics, right? You, you run the race, you get first place, but what really matters is that medal. Uh, and what do they do? They, they bring you up on a platform. They raise you up. They ascend you, okay? They used to actually literally lift you up on their shoulders. And so there, there's symbolism there when you're lifted up. And so when Jesus was lifted up and ascended into the clouds, there's symbolism there He's being honored and glorified, and he now sits at a seat of ultimate authority. This is what that means. It means nothing here on earth, nothing can happen on earth that is outside the authority of Jesus and the control of Jesus. Wayne and I were talking earlier this week. It's easy to think about that theologically, but when our world is so chaotic as it is right now, there's a challenge there for us, right, to, to understand that and really believe that. And so that's why it's so important. It is so vitally important that we are constantly in God's Word because our world is constantly pushing us away from believing that Jesus is on, at the right hand of God the Father. Our world is constantly pushing us to forget about that and to trust in our own selves rather than God. Hebrews 1 verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so right now, one of the benefits of God ascending is that he is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne, and we need not live in fear. We need not live in fear. A second blessing of the ascension is the gift of the Holy Spirit. We saw Jesus give this blessing in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, I also want you to turn back. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. John, John chapter 16. And here Jesus is explaining to his disciples that, look, soon I'm going to be leaving you. I'm going to go back to my Father and, and be with him. And he knows that this is going to make his disciples sad. And so he's comforting their hearts. And he says to them in verse 7, so I'm in John chapter 16, starting in verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so Jesus, of course, here, the helper is the Holy Spirit. Also can be translated advocate. So the Holy Spirit... Uh, again, we see here is it's it, there's a necessity of Jesus leaving and ascending so that the Holy Spirit would come. He's making this profound point, too, to his disciples. He's saying, look, it's better for the Spirit to be inside of you than me to be beside you. It's better for the, me to go so that the Holy Spirit can be with you. And because that is how he can say to all people, all believers of all times, I will be with you to the end of the age. It's through the Holy Spirit. 
So let me try to summarize why that is, why it's better for Jesus to go and give us his spirit. It's because, one, later on in this chapter, in fact, the very next verse in chapter uh, 16 of John, look at verse 8. The spirit is what convicts the world of sin and leads us to obedience. Uh, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and, and righteousness and, and judgment. Okay, So when somebody comes to saving faith, it's not because they mentally all of a sudden just understood. It's because the Spirit of God infiltrated their hearts and opened the eyes of their hearts to see the truth and see the significance of the gospel. So we need the Spirit for that to happen. The Spirit also directs us to the truth. Look at verse 13 in John chapter 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. And so the Spirit is also what sanctifies us. It changes us into the, He changes us into the image of, of God. He, he produces fruit like love and joy and peace and patience, patience and kindness, the, the fruits of the Spirit, right? He produces those inside of us. We need the Spirit. It's better for the Spirit to be in us than Jesus beside us. Third, the Spirit also reminds us of the truth. Okay, so it doesn't just reveal us the truth, help us to understand the Word of God, but also reminds us of the Word of God. Have you ever had one of those conversations where you're, you're talking to a friend and they're dealing with some kind of struggle and all of a sudden like a, a, a scripture passage pops into your head that you just happened to be studying this past week? Well, that's the Holy Spirit reminding you of the Word of God. That's what He does. It's part of His role. It's better to have Him inside of you than to even have Jesus beside you. The Spirit also is that's who empowers us for the mission. That's what we read in Acts, right? The Spirit gives us power to witness. He, the Spirit is the one who embolden us, emboldens us to be able to proclaim the gospel even when it causes us to look like fools to the rest of the world. Now, time won't permit to, for me to cover everything that the Spirit does for us, but I think it's very clear from what we've already covered that if the Spirit doesn't come, the church does not exist, we would not be here apart from the Holy Spirit coming. And so if Jesus doesn't go, he says, the Spirit doesn't come. It was necessary for the ascension to happen. Now, another blessing of the ascension is that the ascension gives us an assurance and a confident hope that one day we're going to have a place prepared for us by Christ in heaven where we'll get to experience the presence of the Lord. Uh, flip back to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And again, Jesus is comforting his disciples. Uh, after he talks about him leaving, he says to them, uh, chapter 14, starting in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and I prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now, I want you to notice in that passage, Jesus is not emphasizing the rooms. Okay? I've seen some people use this passage to say, look, if you work really hard for the Lord here, he's going to build you a really big mansion in heaven. But that's not the emphasis here at all. What's the emphasis? The emphasis here is that Jesus is saying, look, the real benefit, the real blessing, the real reward of heaven is simply being in my presence. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will make, or I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. 
You see, the ascension of Jesus secures an intimate fellowship with God himself in the age to come. We'll be able to walk with Jesus, see him face to face. The ascension secures that. One final blessing of the ascension that I want to talk about before we press into what it looks like for us to live in light of the ascension. We read earlier in Romans chapter 8, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You see, it's because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now interceding for us as our advocate on our behalf that we can have confidence that there is nothing, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no better advocate, there's no better lawyer you could ever have to stand before our Heavenly Father and advocate for you. Over and over, Jesus is there before his Heavenly Father and saying, look, I know they're guilty, but blame me instead. I know I don't deserve it, but you know what? I took their, I've already paid for their sins. You can't, you can't condemn them anymore, right? Dane Ortland has got a new book called Gentle and Lowly, and I love this paragraph. This is what he says. He says, think of it this way. Christ's heart is, as, is a steady reality flowing through time. It isn't as if his heart throbbed for people when he was on earth, but has dissipated now when he is in heaven. It's not that his heart was flowing forth in a burst of mercy that took him all the way to the cross, but has now cooled down, settling back once again into kindly indifference. His heart is as drawn to his people now as ever it was in his incarnate state. And the present manifestation of his heart for his people is his constant interceding on their behalf. Jesus does not sit on his throne right now and just watch us. He is active. He is interceding for us constantly. That's the heart of Jesus for you right now. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And so how do we respond to this? How do we live in light of the ascension? Well, let's look at what the disciples did here. What do they do in Luke chapter 24? After the initial shock, and as we saw in Acts 1, the the angels kind of pushed them in the right direction, Luke says that they worshipped him. I mean, how could you not worship him after seeing him raised up into the, into the clouds, and, and you recognize that everything that happened was, was true. Everything that he said was true. He really was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And so they worship him. It ought to cause a deep-felt worship in our hearts, knowing that he is at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, interceding on our behalf. And then what did they do? They obediently listened to him. Jesus had given him them instructions. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what they did. They were obedient. It should cause us to be obedient to Jesus. And what, did they do, what did they do while they waited? Well, we know from Acts chapter 1 that they prayed. They spent a whole lot of time just on their knees praying. 
And they gathered together in the temple regularly, Luke says. And they blessed God together. And then when the Holy Spirit came, we see this in Acts chapter 2, the power of the gospel exploded out of them. The church was birthed. Disciples began proclaiming the gospel to everybody that they could find. They continued gathering together, encouraging one another, supporting one another. Uh, This season has been so hard uh, for me, and I know for many of you, uh, just because we miss fellowship with people. If you're sitting at home, you, you feel this right now probably more than anybody. God designed us to be together. Designed us to encourage one another and to support one another. And that's what the disciples did. They gathered together. They lived life together. And their lives were transformed because of it. And the entire world was flipped upside down because of it. Because they equipped the next generation to make disciples. If you've been at Mercy Hill for some time, some of those words probably sound a little bit familiar. That's our mission statement, right? We proclaim the gospel. We gather together. We're transformed by the gospel, by the Holy Spirit, and we equip the next generation to make disciples. That's who we are. 2,000 years later, we're still doing the same thing the disciples did because that's our calling to multiply disciples. And it's a blessing just to be a part of it. No matter what the season is. And so my prayer is that we would not waste the opportunity that we have right now. And I, and I do, I've had more pastors this week even that have reached out to me just asking, how can we pray for your church? How can we pray for one another? And I get this sense that in the season that we're going through right now, that God's doing something in the midst of the church. As difficult it is as it is right now and as challenging as it is right now, God's not up there just watching. He is actively preparing us for, for something. We may not even fully understand it right now. But I believe that he is priming the pump for a revival. In every revival in history, where does it start? Prayer. We have got to be on our knees right now, pleading with God that he would light a fire under the church, that we would go and proclaim the gospel, that we would gather together, encourage each other, support one another, that we would be transformed by the gospel, and we would equip the next generation to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's why we exist. So don't miss out on the opportunity right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the book of Luke that you inspired Luke to write. And over the last three years, it has been such a journey to to get to know you on a more intimate level. And I pray as we meditate on the ascension, we're reminded that you are, are constantly interceding for us and you are, you are there, not surprised by anything that's going on in the world, but in full control. I pray that we would not live in fear, but we would trust you in the midst of all of this. 
I pray that you would help us by that you would fulfill your promise. You promised that you would empower us to go and proclaim the gospel. And so we plead with you. We need your spirit to embolden us, that we wouldn't care about what the world thinks of us, but we would love them enough to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would care for one another deeply, especially right now as people are hurting, that we would stay connected with one another and that we would support one another, that we would pray for one another and we would see your kingdom break forth in the midst of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we enter into a time of communion, I, I would really encourage you during this time to, uh, to get alone with God for a few minutes and, and just ask,